0: We're, uh, we're continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount today. Um, and we're actually kind of starting like a little mini-series in the middle of it because the the next texts are deeply connected, but there's too much to handle on one Sunday, and so we're going to break them up a little bit. Um, so this, it's called Things That Last. So this is Things That Last, part one. Uh, for Christmas this year, uh, Aaron and I, we don't do a whole lot of, uh, gift giving so much anymore. I mean, like a few things here and there. But, uh, this year she made a special request. She requested that I get her black leggings from Lululemon. Lululemon. And I'd never been to Lululemon before. I've seen the, I've seen the, that, that insignia. I think they started out kind of as like a, I guess women's sporting stuff and, and then I think they have men's stuff now. So uh, when I was doing my Christmas shopping, I I was like, oh, one pair of black leggings? How about two? So I, I went to Lululemon, and I was like looking around, and they could tell that I didn't know what I was doing, and so the lady was like, hey, how can I help? And I was like, hey, uh, my wife wants black uh, leggings, and I would like to get her two. And then she began to ask me many questions, like should they be uh, the short ones, the long ones, flare out, they have pockets, no pockets, and I was like... I don't know what's the most popular black leggings let's let's get that and so she's like oh this is that right over here and so we went and she she won I was like make it two let's you know this is it's Christmas and so uh then I, I start getting checked out um mobily and so I uh the, the guy asked for my credit card so I give it to him and then I look at the receipt it's $250 and I was like <laughs> okay it's Christmas uh, and so I was like, well, it would be, it would be embarrassing to like give one back at that point. So I was like, thank you. <laughs> so I get, and so, we, you know, she opens it up and Christians like, oh, this is so exciting. I still think I may have gotten the wrong ones. I think she wanted the ones that were longer. I don't know. Um, but I, I was casual. I was like, I was like, honey, what, you know, what makes Lululemon so good? She's like, well, Lululemon is made from the highest quality material. And so it lasts. I was like, huh? So that evening, after she went to bed, I went on Amazon.com, and I looked up black leggings. They were $15. I was like, man, but those black leggings, they probably fall apart at the drop of a hat. Erin, uh, she really does appreciate quality, and it's something that she... And, and the reason for quality, in her mind, is that it's something that lasts. It, it, it keeps going, you know? It's, an, it's not like a one-and-done. It just it, 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 And part of that is... It's, all of us humans have something of that in our hearts. Ecclesiastes tells us that uh, God has set eternity in our hearts. We're designed as people to long for eternity. And that has some practical implications. So when we are, you know, going through life, we're looking for things that are going to last. And one of the most important things for us as human beings, things that we desire to see last, um, is, is our family and that's what Jesus is going to be addressing in this section of the Sermon on the Mount. It, it, it's, it's going to sound a little harsh, uh, and I don't want us to be like intimidated by that. I want us to be honest with the text, but at the same time, I want us to see God's heart for us. And to begin with, in order to start that out, we need to understand God's vision for family and for sex. And so let's begin in Genesis, at the beginning, right? Uh, Genesis 1, to 2, this is Genesis 1, God blessed Adam and Eve and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, or in the King James, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Uh, that language sounds a little harsh for, uh, to us, subdue and rule, but really what it means is cultivate. Right, like once Adam and Eve are out in in the wilderness beyond the garden, which will happen, they're going to realize that that the that wilderness is is real, chaos is real, and and the 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 world needs somebody to tend it, to take care of it. And then and that's going to be difficult. It's going to be too much for Adam and Eve. They're going to need helpers. They're going to need children they're going to need grandchildren and then really once you know they've passed away they 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 are destined to to die they're going to have to have a legacy of others who are going to carry on this work of doing god's will for the world the second thing uh in in chapter 2 and this is another issue for sex right so sex for the first the first thing it's designed to do is to increase to create families right where sex is designed for creating children and then oh, there's another reason for sex, and it's right here. This is why a man leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife. They become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked. They felt no shame because they're one. One. There are these 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 two things, this vision that God has. What is the vision that God has? It's, I mean, in the ancient world, it would be you know taking care of crops and animals, and so you know farmers and ranchers. I have a picture here of the of the, the vision that God has, like those, these these happy families, right? Mom, dad, children, and they're out and they're doing, they're shaping the world in the way that God wants it to be shaped. And in order to do that, in order to do that, God has put sex in place to help. Okay. The first thing that sex is going to do is it's going to create more children. And the second thing it's going to do, ideally, is it's going to unite and sustain the marriage relationship between the parents. Okay, so that's the first thing in your note This is critical. God made sex and our desire for it in order to create mission-minded families that last. Okay, that's what it's for. The reason this is so critical to note is that what I'm telling you right now is 100% counter to the propaganda our culture has been feeding you every single one of us since we were a child. Okay? Every single one of us has been washed in propaganda that says no, what sex is about is making you happy. It's about having fun. Right? What sex is about is 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 creating this incredible experience with the one or something like that. And we're going to see that that mentality has massive implications for life, and Jesus gets that. And so if this is the case, right, if 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 really what sex is about is this and not that, that brings up a couple of questions. Number one, where wh- how do you think about it, right? And, you know, there's lots of different things that we think about. Sex, fulfill a need, right? Make your spouse happy, Um and for a lot of people, it's an instrument for creating happiness and pleasure in our lives. But the second question follows from the first. If it's the case that it's really about proc- procreation and sustaining healthy marriages, what might we need to change about our approach to it? The way we talk about it with our families, the way we communicate about it with our spouses, the way that we train our children to, to think about it and handle it as they grow up. Awkward stuff! But so, so critical, and here's why. If we understand that, we're going to have the key to unlocking Jesus' teaching the next couple of weeks on the Sermon on the Mount. And let's look right here at what He has to say about adultery and lust. You have heard it said, "You shall not commit adultery." He's quoting from the the Old, the old Testament, the Ten Commandments. Do not cheat. Right? We actually had a, a sermon about that about a year ago. Don't cheat. But I tell you, and then Jesus is going to expand or extend this command. He's like, I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, notice that he's primarily thinking about men here, probably a reason for that, uh, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Whoa. Whoa. If your right eye causes you to stumble, he says, gouge it out and throw it away. So if you're looking too much at a certain lady, Hop out the eye. It's better to use, lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. If you find yourself touching things that are causing lust, then you need to do something serious. It's better for you to lose one part of your whole body than for, for your whole body to go, or one part of your body than, than for your whole body to go into hell. Whew. I, I just want, I want to start out to say, hey, as we're moving through the, the texts and the Sermon on the Mount, I want you to understand that so much of what Jesus says is hyperbole. Okay? So much of what Jesus says is not to be taken literally. Because if you take this literally, if Christians took this literally, what Jesus is saying right here, all Christians would look like this. At least like 95% of the women, probably men, probably 60% of the women. That's what would happen if we were like, oh yes, anytime, you know, because whether we like it or not, we're hardwired for sex. We are because God wants to use it to create children. He wants to use it to bring husbands and wives together. It's like, it's just, it's a part of who we are and like anything, it can get out of control. So the next thing you know she this is important. Uh, Jesus uses hyperbole to emphasize how dangerous lust can be what to families that last. Okay? Jesus is, what he's what he's saying here is not cut off your hands. What he's saying is do you have any idea what the fire you're playing with if you start going down this road? Do you have any idea what's going to happen if you start letting your desire rule your eyes, your hands, your, like the, not only can it do damage to you and to other people, most importantly, from Jesus perspective, from God's perspective, it is going to have major implications for families that last. Why? What is it? You know, couldn't, if, if we just had the old Testament command, right? Uh, Don't cheat. Like, that should be it, right? So if you follow the Old Testament command, don't cheat, don't commit adultery, lust shouldn't be that big a deal, right? No one's getting hurt, right? As long as you're careful with it. That's not what Jesus says, going back to Matthew 5. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, don't cheat. I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Does this mean that if you've looked at someone with lust, that you are a cheater? Again, I think that's hyperbolic. I don't think that Jesus is is going there exactly. But he is pointing out something that is absolutely critical to understand about lust. And lust is not being attracted to someone. Uh, for those of you who are, you know, concerned, like, oh, I find people other than, you know, my spouse attractive. That's normal. You're not weird. Um, but you might have somebody at work, you know, that you share maybe too much with, or, you know, there's things that you we will talk about in a second. But, but I don't think that Jesus is saying, as soon as you've done that, you're, you're literally a cheater. I think what he's saying is, if you start down this path, you have no idea what could happen. Have uh, some statistics here that are important to know. Uh, the first, um, most salient factors present in divorce cases. The first two here are from divorce lawyers. They, uh, divorce lawyers were polled, and they uh, were describing what they saw in the cases that they had. And 68% involved one party meeting a new lover over the internet. Uh, 56 involved one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. They uh, did a study this year, um, in 2024, uh, they just, just just finished it. Sixty percent of divorced couples cited identi- uh, infidelity as a cause or a major cause in the divorce. What do we see here? We see lust happening leading to cheating. But it's not just that, it's not just married people who are in danger here, uh, this is some stuff from the, uh, journal of the adolescent health, adolescent health, yeah, uh, prolonged exposure to pornography, which is probably the primary, um, access point that most of us have to lust and lusting things. Uh, Well, with teens, and the statistics are staggering about how many teens are constantly looking at porn, um, we find these things happen to them over time, right? Uh, they have an exaggerated perception of sexual activity in society. They think, oh, everybody's doing it. When in fact, Gen Z is the uh, least, uh, in terms of like having sex with another person, fewer people in Gen Z do that than any other generation we have on record. Um, if you're not sexually active and you're a Gen Z, you're in the majority, <laughs> even though you might not think you are. Part of that, of course, is that uh, there's other ways to get sexual gratification than another person. Uh, abandonment of the hope of sexual monogamy. Um, there's this view um, in, in rising generations that monogamy is weird and impossible. Like, you could never just be with one person. Uh, the, the natural state of life is is promiscuity. Uh, for those who subscribe to um, uh, an evolutionary uh, view about sex, that they'll say things like, oh, well, you know, back in the hunter-gatherer days, there was one guy, the alpha, and he had sex with whoever he wanted, lots of different women, and then there were other the, the lesser men didn't have uh, sexual activity. And so the natural state, they'll say, of sex is for it to be, get as much as you can. Um, <laughs> abstinence and sexual inactivity, unhealthy. Uh, this is very prominent now. Uh, one of the new things that the culture is talking about is um, being uh, pro-sex, I think, or pro-something, where the idea is, like, uh, you want to create a world in which everyone's having as much sex as they can. Like, that's that's a good thing. And anything other than that is repressive and unhealthy. Um, Marriage is sexually confining, but man, here's the one. Lack of attraction to family and child raising. We are in massive demographic decline. Uh, Our birth rate in the United States of America and really across the West has been plummeting. Um, And it became increased, it became serious about 20 years ago. 20 years ago was about the time that the internet started becoming prevalent and all of the stuff that goes along with the internet. And as people become more and more able to satisfy urges and be, and, and be uh, connect, connected through social media and all the things, they, they become less and less interested in what? Family and child raising. Which is, which is what God made us for. It's the last thing in your note sheets. And Jesus understands that cheating takes planning, thought, and desire. It always starts with lust. If you want to see that, that cheating stop, we have to do something serious. We have to be really, really intense, really serious about lust. We have to be, take it seriously. We have to recognize we're playing with fire, and it can lead to awful things. couple of questions what are your triggers and we got to be honest about this um, everybody's got them um, <laughs> and you know there, there's nobody out there who's perfect there's nobody out there who's like you know doesn't deal with this stuff, but man, with the advent of technology, it's become so much easier, right? Social media, uh, I know so many people have had, you know, emotional affairs that begin on social media. Oh, I remember back when college we were so close. Porn, of course, um, a relationship at work that's, you know, gratifying emotionally in a way that maybe, you know, the one at home isn't. And the second most important question, how far would you go to put this fire out? That's why Jesus says the bit about the cutting off the hand, the gouging out the eye, right? He's like, this is so important. You need to, you need to get, uh, have a major gut check here. What's it going to be, what's it going to take to put the fire out? I know the, uh, the youth group in the last year, year and a half, two years, ha- has addressed some of these issues. And one of the things that we've come up with, there's some, um, there's some apps out there that uh, can increase accountability. If that's something you're interested in, we have people who would love to um, partner with you, and we will pay for that uh, to help keep you safe on your devices. But how far would you go? The inclination in Jesus' day, you have to understand, in Jesus' day, uh, lust was, like, considered normal and awesome. Uh, In Jesus' day, an an idol was made out of sex, and it was very common, normal, to expect everyone to be sex-obsessed all the time. Okay? And so when Jesus says this, it's a radical turn. It's a radical turn saying, no, you don't understand. That's not just fun and games. It is going to torch-destroy that which is good, which I've called you to. And so, if you're going to follow me... Are you willing to make some sacrifices here? I want to share with you uh, just one more text. This is maybe my favorite psalm. Just a, a clip from it. I sought Yahweh and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look on him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Anytime we bring up <laughs> these topics, man, guilt and shame are so rampant. You know, if we just sit there for a second and we examine our hearts, a lot of us, a lot of us are like, oh man, I am here to tell you that guilt and shame have no place here. None. There is not one of us here whose heart has not been darkened by some kind of sin. There is not one of us here who is in desperate need of a Savior. If you're hearing this and you're like, oh, I'm being judged or condemned, you're wrong. Jesus isn't here to be like, oh, don't, don't do this, or I'm gonna What Jesus is trying to do is He's saying, This is my vision for you. In the kingdom of heaven, this is gonna be fulfilled fully. Now we're not gonna get there. But we're gonna try. We're gonna try to image what that kingdom is gonna look like. And that's gonna take some some that's gonna take some discipline. But that's I am not here to condemn you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, as Paul says. That is not the, the goal here. The goal is to get, grab a community of people who are like, hey, what can we do to generate these families that last. This thing that is is built in our hearts from eternity. And there's things that that get in the way of that, that damage that. And and what Jesus is saying is he's saying, what are we going to do to to go after that? But as we're going after that, yeah, sometimes it's two steps forward, three steps back. He gets that. That's what grace is all about. John says... uh, if you confess your sins, I am faithful. He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So here's the thing. You are not going to be judged here. If you're judged here, if you, you know, reveal to someone about, you know, difficult, it doesn't have to be lust, it could be any uh, sinner that you're battling, and you get judged or you, uh, you, get, you get shamed, that's wrong. Out, wrong, nope, not okay. God's not a God of shame. And I'll say this, I think that this church, we, we call ourselves a grace church, right? Our our, our values, our, our Bible, grace, and family. That's what we seek to, in, to embody. Well, if that's the case, if that's the case, then the people here are gracious people. So maybe you're in a place where whatever the sin is, right? You're like, you, you just feel like, I can't, I can't beat this. Right now, it just owns me. I want to tell you this. Maybe today, you just say, look, those who look upon God are radiant and their faces are never covered with shame. Maybe you don't have to be caught in this today. Maybe, maybe today you're just like, just, it's a possibility. Like maybe there's something else, something more. And that's okay. That's good. That's a good place to start. Or maybe you're a person who has something that you've been battling for years. And and like I said, it's two steps forward, three steps back. uh, Two steps forward, one step back. And and you're you're wondering, is there any hope? Is there any way that I'm ever going to be free? Well, if you look on God, your face is radiant. You will never be covered with shame. It might not be today. It might not be tomorrow. You might battle your whole life, but here's the good news. The good news is no matter what, in the end, you will be glorified. You will have victory because God is going to do it. John says, when we see him, Jesus, when he returns, we see him, we shall be like him because we're going to see him as he actually is. Just gazing on the face of the radiant God is going to transform us once and forever, for all. We will be fully and completely transformed. Whatever battle you're you're dealing with right now, it might last a really long time. But in the end, you will win. Why? Because God won't let you fail. So take heart. Some of us, uh, we we come here, and you know, whether it's lust or some other uh, difficult thing, we we've had some major 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 victory in our lives. You know, we've been through uh, recovery, or or we've we've you know just handed it over to God in some amazing moment, or, or or whatever. We 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 look and we can say, yeah, in the past, man, that thing owned me, but now. Now I am free. If you're that person, if you've been freed, don't look at the others who haven't been freed yet and judge them. Instead, look at them the way that God looked at you when you were caught dead in your sin. Have mercy for them. Recognize the, that who they are now is not who they will be forever. And live into that. And for all of those who are battling, we can pray together. I sought the Lord, and He heard me. He delivered me from all my fears everyone who looks on him are made radiant and shiny and their faces are never covered with shame. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we know what you seek. We know that you want to create families that last. And we come to you as broken people, people who are caught up in lots of different things and and one of them is lust, one of them is the desire for sexual gratification is just not, that doesn't, that breaks up families. It causes cheating and, and destruction. And God, we confess that before you. We don't want to be owned by that. We want to be a place filled with families that last. And so, God, we ask your Holy Spirit to come and break down walls in our hearts. Give us that vision that you have of the life you've called us to, a life filled with mission minded families who are seeking the good that you have, seeking your righteousness, seeking to shape the world according to your vision and ours. And God, for those of us who have slipped up or we feel owned, just fill our hearts with your love and your grace. Remind us that you gave everything to be with us that you moved into the neighborhood to live with us and be with us and that there's nothing you would hold back from us that you have a great destiny for every single one of us that ends in glory and God give us grace uh, for those around us let us not shame but instead show mercy and encouragement May we hold each other up as we move towards the prize, the upper calling of Christ Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.